0: I got Psalm 67 here for y'all. It's called, Make Your Face Shine Upon Us. Um, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, It would be hard for me to express to you guys just how big of knuckleheads John Woods and Craig Millard were when they came into college. Uh, It would also be hard to express uh, how much I deeply admire these men and wish that I was more like them. And just want to encourage you, no matter where you are in your faith, that the Lord can do tremendous things, and he intends to, while you are in college. And I love kind of the challenge that they laid before you guys. Think about, consider what you are giving your life to, and maybe is it worth setting aside a year, two years, to go and proclaim the greatness of God? And Before we dive into what you just heard Andreas share from in Psalm 67, I want to share a story with you guys. It wasn't until 1606 that the natives of a small island chain that's now known as Vanuatu first encountered foreigners. It wasn't until 1839 that they first encountered missionaries, that people tried to take the gospel there. There were two men. One was named John Williams, and another was named James Harris. They told their families goodbye. They packed all of their things. They headed for the South Pacific. They were ready to take the gospel to the nations who did not know who Jesus was. They come to shore, and within minutes, they are killed, and they are eaten There's a crazy young man named John Patton. Nineteen years later, he gets married and he and his wife start praying and they decide the Lord is calling us to Vanuatu. There's a reasonable man at their church uh, known forever in history as Mr. Dickinson, who stood up when he heard these two declare their intentions and said, you guys are going to be eaten by cannibals. Listen to John Patton's reply. Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. That dude is crazy, right? But this is a guy who actually believes what the Apostle Paul says. Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Later one night, there's, there's a group from this tribe that come hunting for John. He hears their guns go off. He hears their war cries. And he climbs a tree, wondering if this night is going to be his last. And he starts praying. And years later, he writes about that experience. And he says, never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus, alone and yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Can you imagine? John is up there in that tree thinking that he might be killed and eaten, and he said, that's (laughs) the best quiet time I've ever had. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be that near to the heart of God? In one sense, John couldn't have been any closer to worldly speaking danger. And in another sense, he was exactly where he knew God had called him to be. And my prayer is for each and every one of you, whether God calls you to a place like Vanuatu or he calls you to stay here in Birmingham for the rest of your life, that you would say, like John Patton, like his wife, to live as Christ and to die as gain, I would rather be closer to the heart of God than to dwell securely where I am. John and his wife, they, they learned the language of the people and they developed a written language for them. She taught in schools and taught the women how to read and how to sew. John opened up an orphanage. They taught some basics of medicine. And of course, they preached the gospel. By 1881, 23 years after they had originally left the safety of their homeland, Patton wrote, I claimed Aniwa, the particular island that they were on, for Jesus. And by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the Savior's feet. And today, 85% of the inhabitants of that island claim Jesus Christ as their Savior. From those who once ate the flesh and blood of their fellow man to those who trust in the word of John 6, where Jesus says, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will receive eternal life. What a beautiful thing. In John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. John Patton claimed that as a promise, and he said, this means that people on Aniwa are going to praise the name of Jesus. And he didn't just know it for Aniwa. He knew that that meant every single place on this globe, from every single people group, people are going to be worshiping Jesus. And tonight, we're gonna try to unpack some of Psalm 67, and we're gonna explore God's heart for the nations. But our hope and prayer for you guys this semester is that no matter what it means for you, particularly, that you would give yourself over to the glory of God, that you would be caught up in what our great God is doing all over the world, and that you would discover your role within the Great Commission. Because when Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, What he means is for us to respond, here am I, O Lord, send me. Let's pray. Father, these college students, they've got their whole lives in front of them. God, but you hold their lives. God, you hem them in behind and before. You knit them together in their mother's womb. You know the very day that they will take their last breath. And I pray that they would lay their everything down at Jesus's feet, say, here am I, I surrender. Use me for your will, no matter what that means, no matter what you call me to do. I will take up my cross and follow you because you took up your cross and died for me. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, it'll be helpful to follow along in Psalm 67, um, verse One says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Salah. And this prayer in verse one, it's pointing us all the way back to a very famous prayer in Numbers chapter six. And what's going on there is God is telling Moses to pray for Aaron, his brother and his descendants. He says, pray for your brother That God would bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Moses is praying for God to bless Aaron, to give him children, to give him prosperity, to give him peace, to lift up his countenance upon him. There's a sense of completeness and wholeness here. And as we see from Psalm 67, particularly in verse six, that this kind of becomes a prayer for the harvest for the people of God. It's something that they prayed every year. Lord, we know that you control all things. You control the wind and the rain. We know that you control our food. So please have mercy upon us and give us food. But don't miss this now, okay? This sounds like a pretty good prayer, just taken of its own. After all, it acknowledges God, It acknowledges that God is the one who is in control of absolutely everything, that God is the one to whom we ought to be giving thanks. It acknowledges the fact that God doesn't have to do anything for us, right? It asks for God to be gracious to us and to provide for us. It understands that everything that we have, it comes from God's hand. And this is really good stuff because it's really important for us to remember where all of our good gifts come from. I think the problem is, is that when most of us pray, this is kind of how our prayers finish. We ask God to bless us. Maybe we need a little extra help studying for a particular test, or maybe something's going on in a relationship, or maybe we've got an interview coming up and we want God to show us favor. And we ask God to bless us. And that's kind of the end of it. That we ask God to bless us because we want to be blessed. But that's not how this psalm finishes. The main point of the psalm, don't miss this, is the link that happens between verses one and two. Follow along with me. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. What does it say? Everybody's here, right? Cool. What does it say? What's the next word? So that. If you've got the ESV. Sorry, that was a trick question if you got a different translation there. Make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So the psalmist is praying this prayer. He's saying, God, bless us. Show us favor because we want the world to know who you are. God, give us these gifts, not so that we may spend them upon ourselves, but so that the rest of the world may know that there is one true God. There's only one name under heaven whereby they can be saved, and that's the precious name of Jesus. Give us these gifts so that we might take these blessings to the ends of the earth and magnify the name of Jesus Christ. Do you see how this transforms the way that we would pray for God to bless us Why does God show blessing to us? It's not merely for our own sake, though he is an absolutely good father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. Yes, and amen to that. But in the dear words of one of my friends, uh, Pastor Harry Reeder at Briarwood, God gives it to you to get it through you. It is terrible, but you will definitely remember that. This is the theme that starts all the way back in Genesis 12 when God calls a pagan named Abram. He takes Abram, he renames him Abraham, and he says this to him in Genesis 12:2 and 3. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. John Piper said this, he said, God promises blessing to his people because he wants them to be a blessing to the nations. Therefore, we should pray for blessing on ourselves for the sake of the nations. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think you've been given everything that you've been given? And I don't mean to take away, I know a lot of you guys have worked really, really hard to be where you are, and you've overcome a whole lot of things. But we took a small group of students to Haiti last spring break, and we spent time in the fifth district, which is one of the poorest places on earth. And I remember talking to some of these students as we kind of realized, like, if you are the smartest person in the world and you grow up in the fifth district, you're not going to school. It doesn't matter. You're not gonna go to Harvard and become some world-renowned scientist apart from an unending series of miracles. Most likely, you're gonna be a farmer. And we started thinking about all these things in our lives, like where we had been born. That was a gift from God. Who our parents were, that was a gift from God. The fact that we were given our health, that was a gift from God and the schools that we went to and the abilities that we had. We didn't earn any of these things. They were just given to us. Why do you think that you've been given these things and that you and I, we weren't born in the fifth district of Haiti? Not that God loves those people any less, because he doesn't. I remember getting absolutely rocked by 1 Corinthians 4, 7, which says, what do you have that wasn't given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you boast as though it wasn't? And what I'm here to tell you guys tonight is that God is giving it to you (laughs) to get it through you. You have been blessed. Don't mistake that. And the reason that you have been blessed is so that the nations would be blessed. Amen? Y'all are going to have to get a little bit more on board than that. Verse three, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. I don't wanna take this for granted um, because I know a lot of you guys may be unfamiliar with this sort of language if we talk about people groups. So there was this guy, Ralph Winter, in 1974, he shared this. He said, though we Christians are in every country, there are two billion individuals outside the reach of any intelligible gospel witness culturally, meaning no one is thinking in terms of peoples, but only in terms of political entities called nations. Like, we're thinking about countries, but that's not what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about peoples. Hittites, Jebusites, we are talking about people like the Cherokees. This is what we're talking about with nations and peoples. And there are thousands of them, and they speak particular dialects, peculiar languages, and they have peculiar thought forms and cultures, and they need Paul-type missionaries to reach them what this means for psalm 67 is that when this person this psalmist was praying this prayer is they are they are filled with an indescribable vision a people Uh, Sorry, an indescribable vision of people gathered around the throne of God from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. People from every people group turning their faces upon the gracious God who made his face to shine upon them. It's a picture of people who have turned away from false gods and have declared that there is one true living God, the maker of heaven and earth. Sorry. Um, There are very few things in your life uh, that will break your heart more than spending time in a cross cultural context and and befriending people and then watching them walk into a temple and bow before gods made of stone. I remember befriending two guys named M and Turk, and they took me to this Hindu temple in Thailand. And they started trying to explain to me like what they were doing, why they were laying money in this jar. And I'm looking around at this place and they're bowing before this 30-foot statue that's got peeling terrible gold paint on it. And they're saying, well, I, I, I put this in here and and I hope that I'm doing enough good that my good outweighs my bad and that the universe will smile upon me and show me favor and give me health or it will give me wealth. I remember spending time outside a college campus, Concan University, and hanging out with a guy whose name was Cartoon. True story. And Cartoon was a philosophy major because you would have to be with a name like Cartoon. And Cartoon says to me, What is the freedom like in your life? What a question. I remember I had just walked through a study of Galatians. So my response back to him was Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free, that that there was a law with a record that stood against me, but it was canceled because of what Jesus did. So now that when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me based on what I have done, but based on what Jesus already did in my place. And therefore, I have unimaginable freedom. And then I look at cartoon and I say, what is the freedom like in your life? He so said, there's no freedom. There's no freedom. This is slavery. I never know if I have done enough. Now, why were my Buddhist friends striving so hard to be righteous by the law? Because they didn't know that they could be set free from the gospel, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because no one had told them. The very first day I show up at Conkane University, which is this very prominent university in Asia, I sit down with a student named Kung, and we get to talking, and he tells me, after I say why I'm there and what a Christian is, he says, I don't know who Jesus is. And I start thinking, well, maybe you've got some misinterpretation. It's like, no, this guy, a college student, has never heard of the name of Jesus, and Scripture makes it clear that unless someone goes to tell these people that they can't believe, Romans 10 says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him? How will they believe in whom, ha- in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching it to them? And how are they to be preached to unless they are sent? Remember, and Jesus has said that he is sheep that are not of this fold. And it is our job to go to the ends of the earth, to gather in those sheep, to rescue those people who are in slavery now to sin and death, but who would be our brothers and sisters. As David Platt has preached, if we believe that Christ truly died to purchase people from every tribe, then we're going to go to every single tribe to tell people about Jesus. And we don't go out of guilt. We go because God is infinitely worthy. And because we are overwhelmed with gratitude that he would love us so much that he would come and die for us, that we would trust and believe that he is gathering together a kingdom of priests, of people that look utterly different than us, who speak an utterly different language from us, that we would be united by the blood of Jesus, that we would declare together to him who sits on the throne, be glory and honor and praise forever and ever. I don't know if you guys saw this on the news a couple years ago. This was utterly amazing to me there was excuse me there was a helicopter that was flying over the jungles of brazil and they accidentally discovered a group of people that had never been interacted with there were some indians who heard that there were helicopters flying over and they grabbed some spears and started hurling up, hurling them up at the helicopters and i remember hearing a pastor say you know what this means It means that one of these people, some of these people, are going to be gathered around the throne of Jesus, praising him with us. Because this is a people group that doesn't know Jesus yet, and they will, because it's a promise. Verse four, I got to get moving. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, because you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Just this morning, I was reading John chapter 19, and it's just crazy. Jesus is on trial before Pilate. Pilate, he's this powerful governor. He's under the Roman Empire, one of the most powerful empires that's ever existed. Jesus is about to be put to death, and Pilate says these words to him. So you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? you don't know what Jesus says? It's just crazy. Jesus says, imagine this, okay? Pilate's looking at this guy, and what does he see? He sees a poor carpenter's son who's been handed over by his own people who want him dead. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Pilate, you think you're in control of this situation? I am in control of this situation. I have always been in control. You're only in this position because I want you to be in this position, Pilate. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. God, verse 4 says, he guides the nations upon the earth. Daniel chapter two, he removes kings and sets up kings. Proverbs 21, one, the king's heart, it's a stream in the Lord's hand. He directs it where he wills. God has absolute power and authority. But the beautiful piece of this verse is, is that he doesn't just want the nations to recognize that he's in control so that they would cower in fear. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Just think about the message that we actually get to take to people, right? You have been looking for joy your whole life. You know what my God says? He says in Psalm 16 that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You have been looking for love Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends, and Jesus laid down his life for us when we were his enemies. You want peace? How about the peace of knowing how eternity is going to play out? We are calling all the people of the world to find their joy, to find their hope, to find their peace in the only place where it's actually found. This is awesome. Verse 5. Let's just roll them all together. Five through seven. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all, the na- let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I want you to notice the psalmist's confidence here. He's been uh, uttering this prayer, but he says this with certainty. Our God shall bless us. This is no longer a question in his mind. He's declaring it as a fact, because as you heard Kelsey pray, God has declared that his glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Matthew 28... um, as Jesus lays out his great commission, you guys know, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Uh, and then he lays out this awesome promise. For surely I am with you always, even at the end of the age. But before he lays out this command, and he makes this promise, this is built on something really important. Right before that, he tells his disciples, guess what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I know I said this two weeks ago, but I want to drive this explicitly home. This Great Commission, it is not a hope. It is not a dream. This is something that is utterly unstoppable because of the one who said it. Jesus Christ has purchased people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation by his own blood, and God has signed on the promise. This is coming true. Guys, and if we could just see the course of history, we could actually see what God is doing. So, so follow with me just for a second, okay? The year 1800, roughly 75% of the world had not heard the gospel, 75 percent of the world had not heard the gospel. Just a 100 years later, that number had already been reduced to about 50%. Today, it's estimated that 28% of the world still has not heard the gospel. On one sense, that should break our hearts, that there's still 28% of the world that has not heard the gospel. But think about this. 200 years ago, If you had pulled one random humanoid out of earth, right, and you were interacting with them, there was a one in four chance that they knew who Jesus was. Now there's a one in four chance that they don't. The gospel is going forth. Matthew 24, 14 says this gospel is going to go forth to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. The end is coming when we will get to be with Jesus. Now, think about this, and I I know I'm running short on time, so I just want you to catch this for a second, okay? Just wrap your minds around the major world religions. Let's talk about Hinduism. Let's talk about Islam. uh, Let's talk about Buddhism for a minute, okay? Hinduism, it's existed for thousands of years, but it has pretty much never left the Indian Peninsula. Most Buddhists still exist in Far East Asia. Muslims have spread throughout the globe, but primarily through the growing of families and travel. But get this, okay? Christianity, it started in the Middle East, right? And then it spreads to North Africa and it makes its way a little bit into Asia. By the year 300, the Holy Roman Emperor... uh, Sorry, that's a terrible way of saying this. Uh, The Roman Empire becomes an officially Christian state. And for the next 1,000 years most Christians are Europeans. A couple of hundred years ago, the gospel starts expanding rapidly to North America. And you know what's happened over just the last 50 years, because this is nuts. There are now more Christians south of the equator, that's in Africa and South America, than there are north of the equator. Y'all got your head around that? That's not counting how rapidly the gospel is exploding in Asia, Despite all of Communist China's best efforts, it is estimated that within 10 to 15 years, there will be more Chinese Christians than American Christians. That if you pictured in your mind right now someone who is a Hindu follower, that they worshiped Vishnu, you've probably got a pretty good idea of what they look like and what their upbringing is. But Christians, they're all over the globe, they look like everyone and everything. Because the gospel is the fundamental truth of the universe. That this mission is unstoppable because we serve an unstoppable God. And because this message that we carry out is the message that every human heart was created to long for. It's what we desire. To know that there is a God who made us, who loved us. To know that we were broken, that we rebelled against him, that we don't deserve anything from him that we are so bad that someone had to come and live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we deserve to die so that we could rest secure, that when he rose again, that we could be more loved and accepted than we could ever dream or hope. You know why that speaks to your human heart? Because God offered this story and God created you. What good news we get to take to the nations. I'm, I'm wrapping up. This prayer in Psalm 67, it was a harvest prayer that God would bless his people during the harvest season so that they would be a blessing to the nations. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he comes down to earth. He is the true Israel who would ultimately bless the world. And he says to his disciples, do you not say four months and then the harvest? I tell you truly, the fields are white for the harvest. In Matthew chapter nine, he says, and the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Lord, use us, we pray. It's our prayer, guys, that whether the Lord calls you to be an accountant, to be a teacher, to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be a stay-at-home mom, to be a missionary, to be a a business person or a pastor or whatever he calls you to be, that you would say, Lord, use my life, leverage my life so that the nations would see and fear and put their trust in you. Four major asks that I'm going to ask of all you guys to make this a little bit practical before we get out of here. First, simply that you would pray. There are some cards back in the welcome room of the missionaries that our churches support. Grab them. Commit to pray for them. Sign up for their newsletters. Find out what God is doing all over the nations. We've got little cards of an unreached people group, a group of people that there is no known gospel witness. We're gonna hand those out to you guys as you leave. Put that in your Bible. Pray for these people. Um, So pray, got it? Everybody hold your hands up just so I'm following along here. Okay, pray, send, give, give, and go. We got that? Pray. That was great, guys. I'm real proud of all of you. I'm going to combine uh, send and give. Um, some of you guys may know Ricky Fowler and Kennedy Bittner, who both recently graduated from Stanford University. Just like Craig and just like John, they were ordinary students who were total knuckleheads coming into college. And God grabbed a hold of them and they said, why don't I give a year of my life away so that the Kiwi people might know Jesus? There are some cards. Kennedy's got some cards in there. Pray for them. Uh, Kennedy and Ricky both go to church here. Try to grab some time with them before they go. And you know what? This is my big call on, on giving. I know you guys are college students, but commit, say, I'm not gonna go out to eat this one time a month, or I'm not gonna go grab a cup of coffee at Caveat two or three times this month. And I'm gonna give $15 a month so that the gospel would go forth where it is not known. And then lastly, Go. We have two unbelievable opportunities that I want to lay before you guys, and I'm really fired up. Uh, this spring break, we are taking our third trip to Haiti, and I would love for you guys to join us. We partner with an amazing organization called Filter of Hope, and what we do is we go into the very poorest districts of Haiti where they, uh, where people are sick over and over and over again because they drink from dirty water. Um, we bring in these filters that will help give them clean water for 10 years, and we use that to share the hope of Jesus Christ. Please come with us. There's more information that you guys can get uh, as we walk out of the door, and we got um, some sign-up sheets for you guys. Also, for the first time... Uh, in our history as a college ministry, we are going to have a Redeemer summer missions trip. It's gonna be six weeks. Lots of the details are pretty hazy, so I'm real sorry about that. More information to come hopefully within the next two weeks, but I can tell you this, we're going to Peru and we're gonna partner with these unbelievable people there, these doctors uh, who go out into these remote villages and do medical missions. We're gonna spend a couple days a week doing that. We're gonna spend a couple days a week um, on the college campus sharing the gospel with Peruvian college students. Please, please pray about coming with us. And to Craig and to John's points uh, in the very near future, we are going to lay before you some opportunities. Why not tithe some of your time when you graduate? And I'm going to ask each and every single one of you guys to pray about it, no matter what you think the Lord is calling you to do. You heard Craig. It only helps your job prospects later. <laughs> Just tell your parents that, right? Um, Man, I am so far over time. I'm gonna go ahead and ask the band to come back up here. They're gonna lead us in one more song, but before they do, uh, if I don't have a tattoo because I'm a wimp, but if I did have a tattoo, it would be of Acts twenty twenty four, which says, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the grace of God to the gospel of the grace of God. I butchered that real bad. Look it up later, Acts twenty twenty four. It's really good. It's a lot better than I said it. Um, I wanna share this one last story, and then as the band leads us in this last song, I'm gonna ask you guys to, to join and sing as you feel led, but take some time and really pray that the Lord would pry open your hands, that you would say, Lord, whatever you call me to do, wherever you call me to go, I'm in. Because he's worth it. Now listen to this story, because this is this is nuts. There was a Romanian pastor named Joseph Sone. During an early interrogation, I had told an officer who was threatening to kill me, "Sir, let me please explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how this works." You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know that I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I'd better listen to what this man preached because he really meant it. He was willing to seal it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. And I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory. If you kill me. After I said this, the interrogator sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating a pastor friend of mine told him, We know that Mr. Soane would love to be a martyr, but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remembered how for many years I had been afraid of dying. I had kept a low profile because I badly wanted to live and I had wasted my life in inactivity. But now that I had placed my life on the altar and decided that I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me that they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose my life, I found it. May it be the same with us. Let me pray for us. Father, I prayed this in the room with some people before this service started, but I am praying that from amongst this group of students and from amongst this church, you would catapult some people to the nations, Lord, that we would be a people that would say, God, use me. Whether I am praying and giving or whether you are calling me to go, Lord, leverage my life so that my brothers and sisters who are now in slavery to sin and death might taste and see that the Lord is good just as I have. Lord, set us free from fear, set us free from bondage, God, and help us to obey. Lord, we love you. Help us to believe that anyone who holds on to his life is just gonna lose it. Whoever loses his life for your name's sake is going to find it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.